Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Well, hello, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people, and I am not your host, Sean Astin. My name is Mac Astin, and for the next hour, I'll be guest hosting this extraordinary vessel as we navigate the uncharted waters of a Sean-free Populi. He's off on assignment, I think they say, and so it's just myself and the fearless, peerless Gint here at the John Lovitz Theater in Universal City, the Toad Hop Network has left the keys in the ignition today, and we hope you enjoy the ride. We'll be taking calls much later in the show, probably about a half an hour or so. But first, a little bit of Destiny's Manifesto. It has been said, or at least I think it's been said, that is to say, I have heard it said, that the two best ways to ruin a conversation are to introduce religion or politics. It's part of the reason why small talk usually sticks to the weather. And I've seen it play out that way many times over the years, where perfectly placid exchanges turn dark and stormy over the introduction of religion or politics. Ugliness ensues. Plates get rattled. Sabers get rattled. Cages get rattled. And in the end, not much changes. The storm passes, and both parties go their separate ways without much deviation in terms of their religious or political affinities or affiliations. Not much is learned other than <clears throat> certain distinctions relating to which side one or the other person is arguing against or for, and whether or not they'll ever enter an, into another conversation with that yahoo or imbecile or idiot or bleeding heart or baboon or moron or asshole. And this has gone on, more or less unchanged, for thousands upon thousands of years. Granted, there have been plenty of improvements in the end game of these conversations about religion or politics, Points are made with fingers rather than swords, for the most part, and religious or political discussions eventually peter themselves out, and the topic returns, naturally, back to the weather. Or music, or sports, or sex, or Kardashians, or whether a Kardashian is having sex with someone from music or sports. I think it will eventually come to be that the three best ways... <clears throat> I think it'll eventually come to be said that the three best ways to ruin a conversation will be to introduce religion, politics, or Kardashians, which, if you ask me, is a testament both old and new to the incredible exposure that exposure gets these days. It's almost as if people don't want to talk about religion or politics. 
So, dear listeners, what in the name of all that is holy am I doing sitting in front of a microphone that feeds into a recorder that leads into a server that beams out over the internet under the title Vox Populi? A podcast whose very concept is to introduce into as many conversations as technologically possible one of the two topics anathema to conversation itself. I'll tell you, folks, the reason is family. Family. Family, family, family. Perhaps the most underrated word of all when it comes to religion or politics, <clears throat> or the politics of religion, or the religion of politics. Family. I am here today, this 5th of July, to come to the aid of a member of my family. By now, you know him well, <clears throat> either through the mediums of film and television, or in a much different light from the weekly emissions of this nascent forum. He's been my big brother for a number of years now, and sometimes he's been bigger than others. But for as long as I can recall, he's been a large proponent <clears throat> of the civil discourse he promotes through this here podcast. Sometimes larger than others, to be sure, but a proponent all the same. There's an ancient family story that I'll delight in sharing with you now about a little game our father used to play when Sean was a little boy. A very little boy. <clears throat> a toddler, just old enough to have a command of the language, something you listeners will agree he's yet to relinquish. The story goes like this. My parents, you may know, have always leaned politically to the left. And the early days of their marriage were a time when <clears throat> those leaning politically left <clears throat> had a great deal on which to lean. It was back then that the 37th president of the United States, a gentleman from Yorba Linda by the name of Richard Milhouse Nixon, had found himself in a bit of a political pickle. Through some all or no fault of his own, a few suspicious activities sponsored with some all or none of his knowledge had backfired on the perpetrators in a big way, and the president was embroiled in a scandal that would lay the linguistic template for some, none, or all political scandals to follow. Well, our folks, good Democrats that they were, spent a good deal of time in front of the telly watching the congressional proceedings that would eventually proceed to provoke the president to pardon himself from the presidency. So, it was the summer of 73. I was only a few months old, and whilst I suckled at the breast of my young mother, my folks and my toddler brother fed themselves the political nectar of the Watergate hearings available daily from the three-petaled flower of network television. Sean was two, and just learning to talk, and so my father decided to have a little fun with his wide-eyed little son by teaching him some political call and response. It was quite simple, really. My father would ask my brother a simple question. And my brother would answer my father with a simple response. Much to the delight of my young mother, and I'm certain in some form to my infant delight as well, the call went like this. Hey, Sean, my father would say, what do you think of Nixon? And my toddler brother, Sean, two years old and brimming with imp, would respond, fuck him. What do you think of Nixon, Sean? Fuck him. I am told that the glee and abandon and general toddlerness with which my big brother disparaged the 37th president of the United States in the summer of 73 was responsible for gales of laughter throughout the house. Well, for a few weeks anyway, until the realization set in amongst the folks that this particular parlor trick would only play well in the most particular of parlors and that the potential of this relatively famous couple's relatively famous toddler espousing such convictions in mixed company or, heaven forbid, in public, might just reflect poorly upon his parentage. So, setting aside the ecstatic joy Sean's cries of fuck him 
sent rippling through the house, my parents undertook the task of reprogramming the response. What do you think of Nixon, my father would ask. And the new answer, it was decided, should be tricky. Hey, Sean, what do you think of Nixon? Tricky. It seemed like a good plan. A safe substitute, an easy fix, two syllables, just like fuck em, but much, much safer, cleaner. Still catchy and pretty clever, really, alluding to the tricky dick moniker Nixon had perversely acquired by then, but... But... The best-laid schemes of mice and men the poet Robert Burns wrote, wrote 240 years ago are oft to go awry and leave us naught but grief and pain. Or, in my parents' case 39 years ago, with a two-year-old toddler absolutely refusing to unlearn a learned behavior he maybe shouldn't have been learned in the first place. The story from our childhood um, <clears throat> in the summer of 73 climaxes, naturally, at a Hollywood party with the regular host of Vox Populi standing on a table at two years old, enthusiastically ignoring the rewrites, stomping out repeated refrains of fuck em, fuck em, fuck em. Whatever embarrassment it may have caused our parents is long since in the ether, and the story, as told from down the road, is well worth whatever redness of face was felt at the time. But it is my belief that something stuck with that toddler all those scandals ago, something pure and deep and honest and true, having entirely to do with the simple fact that discourse can get a reaction. Political discourse can get a strong reaction. And also that underneath most attempts at diplomacy, the words fuck em are still very likely to lurk. <laughs> there were... <clears throat> Excuse me, there were a great many lessons like that from our childhood in Hollywood, and also a great many family ventures into activism. We were lucky to have parents who gained notoriety in their chosen fields, and we were lucky to have parents who cared enough about those around them to parlay that notoriety into public support for a number of causes about which they felt strongly. I'll assume I can speak for Sean in that respect as well. We were brought up to care about these things, I believe, because my parents were brought up to care about these things. The apples never fall far from the tree, you see. And I think, <clears throat> I think this fact is part and parcel of why my brother has decided, at 41 years old, to add to his already busy schedule and put out this weekly podcast. A podcast whose aim is to promote civil discourse, whose goal is to get people talking to one another as opposed to talking over one another. The podcast that he's gone and put me in charge of for the day. The podcast to which you now listen. And frankly, folks... I'm terrified. Well, I was terrified. The phone rang at 8.30 yesterday morning, and I answered, and there was your usual host on the line asking me to cover his show. An acting gig had come up quickly for him, and he was just about to take off on a flight to Seattle, and could I spend an hour today talking politics instead of him? I swung my legs off the edge of the bed. I held my head in my hands. And I told him that I couldn't give him an answer just yet, and he should call me maybe when he lands in Washington. The state, that is. I hung up, I exhaled, and I immediately went into processing the various stages I'm told we encounter when moments like this arise. You know them, dear listeners. The five stages of grief, based on the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Denial. No. No, no, no. It's not true. He can't mean he wants me to host the show tomorrow. No. Maybe he meant to call Noam Chomsky. Anger. 
damn him, damn him, damn him and his dumb, damn political podcast, damn him and his stupid, dumb, successful acting career that has job opportunities throw themselves at his damned hairy feet. And then bargaining. Fine. 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 I'll do, I'll do 15 minutes. I'll do 15 minutes of his political podcast, and then I'll throw on some Strauss so people can digest their lunch in the manner that their stomach has been growling for. Then depression. You know what? I'm going back to bed. And finally, acceptance. Hey, Mac, you're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it. People like political podcasts. But let's be honest. Where Sean excels at politics, I am repelled by them. I have never been much of a fan of the back-and-forth nature of the thing. Ironic in some sense because I love ping pong. And so, my friends, yesterday morning I had to set about figuring out a topic for today for which I am better equipped. A topic that doesn't stray too far from the realm of civil discourse, for that's why you have pointed this way to click. But a topic on which I, your politically adverse guest, uh, guest host, could feel inspired enough by to prattle on about for an hour or so. So there I was yesterday morning looking for inspiration. After some coffee and consideration <clears throat> and ample encouragement from my best friend, to whom I happen to be married, I had exactly nothing. My brother was on a flight at whose end he would need an answer, and I had absolutely nothing. Well, I had coffee, and I had consideration, and I had an encouraging best friend wife, but I had no inspiration. I had no topic. I couldn't think of anything inspiring. I was at the bottom of an uninspired well and needed to figure out a way to keep going. And then, suddenly, the coin dropped, and I realized the answer was right there in front of me. Or rather, high above me, in the air, 30,000 feet or so, inspiring from afar. All at once, I heard a voice from our collective past, a voice speaking in for inspiration from the bottom of a wishing well. Chester Copperpot! Don't you guys see? Don't you realize? He was a pro! He never made it this far! Look how far we've come! We got a chance! Chance at what, Mikey? Getting killed? Look, if we keep going, someone's really gonna get hurt. Maybe dead. Besides, we gotta get to the police. Maybe Chunk already got to the police. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that! Never say that! Goonies never say die! I'm not a Goonie. I wanna go home. I forgot. But still! Don't you realize? The next time you see Sky. It'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best to stop for us. But right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket.
Over the years, my brother Sean has played a lot of parts. He's been a lot of things to a lot of people. In fact, professionally speaking, he's off being something for somebody else right now. But throughout his career, and as throughout throughout his career as an actor, <clears throat> he's had the uncanny ability to be cast in roles that people are compelled to believe in. And you've just heard a snippet from one, of course, the classic adventure film from 1985, The Goonies, in which a loyal band of misfits, <clears throat> in which a loyal band of misfits find themselves on the adventure of a lifetime, hunting treasure, escaping the clutches of an evil family of bad guys, and eventually discovering a long-lost ship of pirated fortune. The film struck a chord 30 years ago and continues to resonate with the children of parents who first discovered it as children themselves. There's a reason for that resonance in this guest host's humble opinion, and that reason is universal. All of us find ourselves up against it at times. Well, why I was just yesterday, as the Goonies were way back when. But with some luck and a little creative thinking, with loyalty and panache, with perseverance and a never-say-die attitude, all of us can see our way through to treasure. It may not come in the form of booty, unless, of course, it's booty that you're after. But with plenty of determination and a healthy sense of adventure, you can get yourself where you're trying to go. That's the message I think a lot of us took from the Goonies. That, and it's always good to have someone around who speaks a foreign language. At least that's the message I took away yesterday morning while looking for inspiration. And so, since it was looking for inspiration that inspired me, along with some Mikey Walsh, it is inspiration and my brother's inspired career that I think will make do for today's topic. Speaking of my brother, he's on the air? He can hear us? How come he can... Can I hear him? Do I push anything? Sean Patrick? Hello? Oh, there he is. You're doing a heck of a job, Brownie. Oh, you're a nice man, my friend. I was just about to go to commercial. Well, it's a close shave, but you got it going. Uh, what's with all that language? For Pete's sake, you know, you leave the thing. There's no SEC controlling this, for the love of God. I, was, I almost fell off my chair. What do you think of Nixon, Sean? Fuck him. <laughs> tricky, tricky, very tricky. Uh, hey, you're doing a great job. I can't wait to keep watching, and uh, I don't want to bug you, but other than to say, uh, you know, don't don't pump me up too much because I won't be able to live up to it when I get back. Oh, it's too late, bro. The the, the the pen has been to paper. And remember, if you get stuck, Hillary Clinton had to apologize, or I don't know if she had to, but she elected to apologize to the Pakistanis for some American involvement in uh, in in. Pakistani military deaths and wants to look forward to a, a better working relationship, military to military. So I know you're a big fan of politics. I just thought I'd throw that out there for you. I, I mean, I have no idea what you even just said. <laughs> Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July to you too, my friend. And uh, thanks for calling in. Uh, you know, call us back a little bit later if you're not working uh, and uh, tell us that we're still doing a fine job. I'm going to go to a movie. You're doing great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, thanks for calling, Sean. I love you, and thanks, thanks for letting me. Let, thanks for letting me borrow the show. Nah, listen, take good care of it. I know you're doing a great job, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll listen to it together when I get back. Ten to the fizz out. Bye. Wow, that's exciting. Hey, we'll be back with more after this on a very special episode of Vox Populi. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. What's up, Toadheads? 
It's Frank Kramer, Heidi Hamilton. Hey, everybody. From the Heidi and Frank Show. Reminding you that if you have satellite radio, you can check us out every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Extreme Talk Channel 165. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Eastern? Uh, on the East Coast, yeah, on Extreme Talk XM 165. And if you don't have satellite radio, well, you're on the Toad Hop Network, so why not check out the Heidi and Frank Show, the backbone of the whole thing. 10 a.m. to noon every single week. The premium package. But you can listen for free every day, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. Check us out, Heidi and Frank. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome back, folks, to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. <clears throat> I am still not Sean Astin, but there is time yet left to try. To try. To try. Teams up against it, and things are wrong, and the brakes are beating the boys. Tell them to go in there with all they've got and win just one for the Gipper. I don't know where I'll be then, Rock, but I'll know about it, and I'll be happy. <laughs> the four horsemen, Knut Rockney. Bruce Krause, Angelo Bertelli, Johnny Lujak, Leon Hart, Terry Hannity, John Hewitt, Jack Snow, John Latner. Paul Farning could have dressed in this locker. We got work to do, kid. We're talking inspiration instead of politics today because the cat's away and this mouse prefers play and what could be more inspiring than the music from <clears throat> the motion picture Rudy my big brother was born to play that part and play it he did throwing himself headlong into the role the requisite equipment the long practices and whatever offensive linemen found themselves in his way 
Director David Onspaugh's 1994 masterpiece of sports cinema hurried its way into the hearts of millions. With ample assistance from Jerry Goldsmith's resounding score and pitch-perfect performances from a talented cast, the film airs on cable in near-constant rotation. And on a personal note, it's never more than three bars of that soundtrack before salt water is pouring freely from the front of my face. Folks walked out of movie theaters in 1994 a full foot taller, and nary a day goes by without your regular host finding himself on the receiving end of a knowing nod or an appreciative thanks from someone inspired by the film. Heck, I'm fired up just talking about it. Let's delve, shall we? We'll make a decision then. Hey, 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 hey. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list. There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone prove that I worked... what? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing. A hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. Mm. What is it about that story that so many of us find faith in? Again, in my opinion, it is its universality. All of us, at one point or another, have felt small. Even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I'm sure, shortly before he wasn't Lou Alcindor anymore. It's human nature. All of us, at one point or another, have felt as though the odds were stacked against us. And all of us, no doubt would be hard-pressed to remain uninspired by the realization of a dream so well sought after. Again, the crazy career karma of your absent host smack dab in the center of another film about success of the human spirit. Framed perfectly amid the backdrop of college football and with the bonus of being based in truth, what more could a filmgoer want? What's that? What's that you say? Fantasy? As a film-goer, you say you want fantasy? Inspiration and fantasy? Hmm. Let me check with the Sean Astin Film Library to see if there's any fantasy lying around. Oh. Oh, yes. I think I have something here. Ah. It's a dusty old copy of The Lord of the Rings. Now... There's way too much to go into here for The Lord of the Rings is not a brief topic, but for fantasy's sake, it sure was topical. Written, as some of you know, by a man to entertain his son in the trenches of World War I, the themes of good and evil run deep within its pages. It was eerie, then, that the themes of good and evil should find themselves taking center stage in our daily lives in the months before the release of the first film. 
but a finer time for American moviegoers to lose themselves in fantasy could hardly be found than the winter of 2001. Eerier still, the second in the trilogy, released the following winter, should bear a subtitle so blindingly present, yet born of a distant past. I refer, of course, to The Two Towers. An America still so raw and anguished from that intrusion into our lives and lifestyles again sought refuge within the fantastic world of Tolkien and found themselves again with an incredibly poignant message delivered courtesy of the character Sam. We were all Frodo in those dark days at the turn of the century. And the stories told us by Tolkien through Peter Jackson spoke at levels deep enough to inspire awe at the mystic truths behind the timing of these words. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. Sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Farrell. And it's worth fighting for. Powerful stuff, that Tolkien. Powerful stuff. Crafting a character <clears throat> as gentle as Samwise Gamgee and putting him into a circumstance whereby that gentleness of spirit, that sensitivity, and that undying sense of loyalty should be at the heart of an epic battle between such good and evil. He's the hero of the tale in many ways, though not by sword or swagger, instead by his virtue and by virtue of his dedication to his longtime friend and companion. And again, I marvel at the appearance of yet another role portraying pure inspiration that should fall at the aforementioned hairy feet of my big brother. It's all in the timing. Interesting, too, in the scene we just heard, that Samwise should guide Frodo back to the stories they'd heard when they were little, which for hobbits, I understand, is extremely small. For it is at that point that the storyteller begins referencing himself, almost, in the act of telling stories. And it is in the telling of stories where we, as actors, put ourselves in the enviable position of representing more than who and what we really are, representing archetypes that speak to the masses, that the masses can see themselves in, 
that the masses themselves can find faith in, and in turn, find faith within themselves. Storytelling itself is as old as mankind, and where stories 2,000 years ago were limited to those within earshot, it is in these days of mass communication that a good story can find its way to the ends of the earth, middle or otherwise. Storytelling is the medium in which we communicate our deepest desires, our fondest wishes, and our greatest hopes. It is the medium in which we can represent the best of human nature in a variety of forms, all of which it is my belief, with the intention of inspiring others the yearning to do the same, to be the Samwise in their own lives, to be the Rudy on their block, to find the Mikey within themselves and lead their own gang of misfits to their own pirate treasure. It is <clears throat> with this in mind that I'd like to tell you all a story today of how I came to be able enough to guest host this very show. All of this may sound flowery and full of idealism, and it should, for I'm a romantic at heart, and I can speak to inspired truths within my own life, where darkness had set in and there seemed little way out, where I had no business making the practice squad, or I'd worn myself out trying to dispose of the ring. Whether inspired by his own performances, or perhaps because he was raised with a sense to help out those around him, I'm here to tell you this 5th of July of the rescue in my own life at the hands of the host. And he'll probably get miffed with me for sharing, but I feel it my duty under the circumstances. Left with an opportunity to speak on his behalf and inspired by inspiration, I would like to tell you all how my brother became to me Mikey, Sam, and Rudy all rolled into one. Perhaps because it's in the genes, perhaps because I've made some bad decisions, perhaps only because it would end up making a good story. A few years ago, my friends, I found myself deep in the throes of addiction. It had been observed and reported on by a vast number of friends and relatives over the years that I had quite an affinity for the drink, something I certainly won't deny. In fact, there are legions of people all across this great land who'd be happy to tell you that they've ra enjoyed raising the wrist with me, and I'd be happy to tell you I did them if only I could remember. That's a bit of an overstatement, to be sure, but from a period of time, not before my 30th birthday, to somewhere in the area of 36th, I had developed for myself a pretty bad habit. I ignored the warning signs and I didn't listen to advice and just sort of kept the pedal to the metal when it came to carousing. I was functional, mostly, right up until the point that I wasn't. The idea of getting help for the drinking had been run up my flagpole a few times by some members of my family, but I never wanted to let that thing fly. There even came a moment in 2006 when, at the height of its popularity, I could honestly sing truly along with the late Amy Winehouse. They tried to make me go to rehab, dear listeners, but I said, no, no, no. Things got worse, as things related to addiction have a penchant for doing, until I found myself having compromised every single relationship in my life to the point of breaking. It was at the end of a three-day binge, one of many over the darkest days, where my best friend wife, <clears throat> then my best friend fiancé, finally said I had to get it out of my system or get out. I was at the bottom of that well. I was about to get kicked off the squad. 
I had worn the ring too long and lost my sense of self. I was weak. I was frail. I was deep in the garbage pail. And it was in that moment, looking past my own sallow eyes into the clear blue of my best friend wife, then fiancé, that I made the strongest decision of my life. I picked up the phone and called my big brother. I'll take the help, I said. And he knew exactly what to do. He had the map to treasure. He knew precisely the play to run. He put me on his back, and he carried me. It's been nigh on two years since I completed my time at the treatment center, a three-month stay in Ventura County at a place called Passages. They do great work, I'm proud to say, but that work came at a cost. And fortunately for me, Sean Patrick felt his little brother was a worthy investment. Inspired he was, perhaps, by the deeds he'd done on celluloid or by the character he'd created within himself. We come from a family unafraid to support a cause, and I had presented him with one to great effect. To great effect. You've been listening to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people here on the Toad Hop Network. Your regular host, Sean Astin, is off in Toronto, Canada, working on something for the Sci-Fi Channel, and no doubt learning as much as he can about the healthcare system so he's got a head start on what to expect when he comes back to the States. I apologize to you political junkies tuning in today to get your fix. There's a different kind of pusher on the corner, you see. While your regular host has ample ammunition to discuss the problems of great magnitude that face our country right now, the tastes of his guest host run more to the personal level. But I believe there's an opportunity there to address the simple truth that very often that which afflicts society as a whole finds its roots on the smallest of scales. With that in mind, I'd like to invite you to chew on some of the things that I've had the good fortune to relate to you today. And if you've got an inspirational story of your own you'd like to share, the phone lines are open. What inspires me, you might be wondering. Well, you might not be wondering. You might well be thinking that this episode of Vox Populi is more like Vox Pop-you-what? You might be bored and listless and ready to find some other source for the latest on the situation in Pakistan or who's beating whom in the polls. But alas, the guy with his finger on the political pulse just ain't here today. So I'm going to go ahead and pretend that you're wondering what inspires me. 
I'll tell you what inspires me. Words. Words in English put together all in a row so that they have some flow and a place to go. A place in my heart, a place in my spirit, a place on the back of my neck and under the hairs of my arm. Powerful words, inspiring words, words that do to the noodle what a good beat does to the feet. I have some examples here to play for you, some samples of what I get giddy for. But I believe the phone has just rung. And before I get into that little clip, let's see who's calling. Ah, oh, yes. I believe that says Linda. Yes, Linda? Forgive me, the type is very small over there. I can't quite make that out. Oh, wonderful. Something inspired from Linda in Ohio. Linda, are you there? Hello, Linda? Hello, Linda, are you there? Uh-oh, did we lose her? Linda? I'm here. Can you huh. hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you doing in Ohio? Are you cooking out there? Oh, yes, it's cooking everywhere, what, I think, right now. What is the uh, What is the temperature in Fahrenheit, if you can? Uh, let's see. Uh, looking out the... Um, actually, I'm not in Ohio right now. I'm at my parents' house in Virginia, and it's about 98 degrees. Oof, and the relative humidity in Virginia, probably, I would imagine. Probably also 98. Oh, my goodness. So it, it, it's, the feels-like temperature has got to be in the hundreds, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Oh, aye, aye, aye. Is everybody doing all right? Are you inside? Are you air-conditioned? Yes, we're in the air-conditioned. All right, good. Oh, for, forgive great. me for, for peppering you with asinine questions. you have something inspired? Yes, um, your brother. Um, How about I that had guy? The opportunity, yeah, I had the opportunity to uh, spend some time with him this weekend at the Fandom Fest in Louisville, Kentucky. Fantastic. And I saw him interacting with a lot of people, and every interaction... Um, he gave each person a special moment. Um, he didn't allow things to be rushed. Um, a lot of people were very nervous. Um, some people had um, some difficulties. And he just he took his time, and he just has such great empathy for people. It was just watching him, um, I think, made me a better person. Ah. That's wonderful. I, you know, I, I, you and I have that in common, Linda. You and I have that in common. I, I've been very fortunate to be able to see him succeed, both as uh, as an actor and as a person. You know, and mm -hmm. you know, without getting too far into it, <clears throat> things were not always hunky dory growing up. So uh, yes, it's wonderful to watch uh, to watch him, you know, take all that he's been given and give it right back to folks. It, it's really it's a it's a terrific example of uh, of how one can carry themselves. Now I'll you know. He also drives me nuts sometimes. Oh yeah, but that's that's, that's 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 family <laughs> stuff. Oh, that's terrific. How how um how long were you at the convention? Um, I was there. Well, I was at it the whole time. I was, but I spent a lot of time with Sean. Um, the two days that he was there. Fantastic, and I imagine. Uh, he, yeah. Well, I was gonna say I imagine the lines were uh, out the door. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Mm -hmm. He's a good one. Um, um so <clears throat> you're uh, you're fr you're from Ohio, you or are you from Virginia originally? Uh, I'm originally from Virginia. I'm living in Ohio now, and I'm visiting with my parents back in Virginia again. Fantastic. In the house that they have lived in for 50 years this summer. Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. great. So is that the house that uh, you grew up in? Is that yes. safe to say? Mm -hmm. oh, very mm -hmm. good. Very good. It it's always nice to come home, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, there is, uh, there is no place like home.
there's no place like home, but every time I come home, everything has changed. There's so much uh, construction and building and road changes and traffic. Right. What is it they say, that the, uh, the one thing the, that, uh, that is universal uh, in terms of laws, the one law that never changes is the fact that everything changes? Well, that and death and taxes. <laughs> yes. That's already been discussed. Of course. And health care now, I understand, right? And health care, yes. Yeah. Health has been added to the list. <laughs> that's, that's good stuff. Well, <laughs> you've, we're been all... listening, you've been listening to your brother's show. I can't get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is just, I think that you are giving him such a wonderful present this hour. Oh, good. I want to thank you for that. Oh, cheers. He really deserves, he really deserves um, all the kudos that that you give him and his fans give him. Well, indeed, indeed he does. I know I know his wife and kids are going to be uh, angry with all of us uh, for, for, for pumping up his ego too much. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the truth be told, when it comes down to it, the bottom line, uh, he really is a pretty good guy. I think so, too. Yeah. Thanks for your call, Linda. All right. Thanks, Matt. Try thanks to stay... Taking over for your brother. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Try to stay cool if you can. Okay, you too. Aloha. Bye. That was very nice. Linda from Ohio by way of Virginia. Or Linda from Virginia by way of Ohio. So there's a, uh, there's a little something I've got lined up uh, to play for you guys. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a selection from a very old film called The Great Dictator, written and directed by Charlie Chaplin, who stars in it as well. It tells a rather familiar story of a man coming to power with the ear of a nation at his beck and call. Chaplin sets the tone for the great dictator to make a powerful speech. And a powerful speech he makes. It differs, of course, from the hate and bile spewed forth by the historical character he was satirizing. And from Chaplin's mouth come words of remarkable resonance even 80 years down the road. I've pulled this clip from the vast resource known as YouTube, where a genius who uploads under the name The Lakey Sisters has underscored the speech with some strains of modern music. It's quite moving, as you'll hear. And I'm sure that the nearly 9 million people who've viewed it on YouTube would agree. Let's listen. I'm sorry. I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass, 
and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people, and so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man. Not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world. A decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Ah, what men might make of themselves if given only the chance. Remarkable to hear his voice, that little tramp, after coming to know his work in mostly silent films. And what an inspirational speech that was. Inspiration, the topic of the day on this borrowed episode of Vox Populi. And it looks like we've got one of the uh, one of the fateful callers on the line. Is this Brett from Florida? Oh, there we go. Is this Brett from Florida? Yes, sir. Cecil B. No, wait, C.B. Demented. Is that right? Cecil B. Demented, that's correct. Yeah, that's very good. How are you, my friend? Ah, quite well. How about yourself? Oh, it's good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm well. It's good to hear your voice again. Uh, the last time we spoke, I was trying to figure out how the phones worked. <laughs> well, it seems like you're still having fun with that. I got a promotion. <laughs> right on. Right on. That was a very inspirational uh, speech. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that great dictator. That's a, a powerful film. It, uh, I, I, I've actually seen that, and I enjoyed it. I was talking more about what you were talking about your uh, brother there. Oh, so, uh, well, cheers. Pretty pretty moving there. And then I think you uh, really need to contact Hope Mifflin. I think you got a great career in uh, voice books there. Oh, <laughs> copy that. I, I will do just – I'll put my best people on it. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I'm. I'm uh, that's nice and gracious of you to say, Brett. I'm. I'm uh, thankful to have the opportunity to really to to put out how grateful I am to uh, to that guy. You know, he does. It's amazing for for as much as he tries to to, to help uh, manufacture change on the grand scale. Uh, he he does it. He does it at home as well. And so it's you know it's it's really kind of a kind of a beautiful thing. I'm glad I had the opportunity. 
Well, you know, like they say, every journey starts with that first step. Yeah, that's true. It applies in many different ways. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, sometimes there's 11 steps after that first one that's really helpful. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, I've got my small addiction. It was nowhere near as difficult as you when um, I'm trying to follow in uh, Christina Blard's uh, footsteps and, and get the cigarette monkey off my back and yeah, I'm on my second try here so I'm, you know it's it's not as not as wrecking in the life but I can certainly understand no the, uh, the best of luck to you with that one some of the friends that I made uh, in the treatment center who were struggling with uh, addiction to heroin had uh, you know which is the nastiest of them had more trouble with uh, cigarettes oh, yeah. uh, than with heroin they say it's the the toughest in the world my, my mom uh, has been a smoker for the majority of her life uh, mm-hmm. and she finally was able to uh, to knock them off about a month ago uh, and you know it it just blows my mind uh, i'm i'm very very proud of her that she's been able to do it you know at 60 Oh, I can't really say, right? Because she's a lady. Right. Uh, she's 36, like my mom. <laughs> oh, amen. Oh, 36 and holding. Right. Oh, terrific. Well, but, Brett. You know, I, I, I quit it before, and, and I started it again in a stressful point, and so I, I'm, I'm confident that I can do it again. Part of it is I kind of like the you're, – you're like an – an embattled minority when you're a smoker these days. Well, it's true. It's true. Right. I, you know, I'm. I, I, I still. You know, I still smoke, and it has been for about uh, you know ten or fifteen years now that people will look down their nose at you from a great distance uh, if you're if you're puffing. Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially in your state. I, it's I, it's got to be. It was bad when I lived in California, and it's gotten worse. So it, I'm, I'm certain it's a, a, mo- a very social pariah type of thing. Indeed, indeed. But you know. Uh, I guess I guess the point is that we're we're all going to be a little better off when we uh, when we put them down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and it, you know, it's it's for my kids. That's the, my my biggest problem is it's for other people, not for me. Well, I'm that's the, that's the thing. That's why I couldn't uh, you know quit uh, uh, drinking and doing drugs um, uh, until it was for me. You know, right. they, people had told me to do it for a long, long time, and I was like, you know, forget about it. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. But finally, when when I had to do it for myself, is when I was able to. And I'm sure it's going to be the same uh, for you with uh, with the cigarettes. Yeah, well, we'll see. Anyways, my my inspirational thing is not as uh, as closely personal as or intensely personal as yours is. Um, and and the, the biggest inspiration in my life came shortly after the biggest tragedy in, in, in the last few decades in our country. It was at 9-11. And uh, I uh, was unfortunate enough to be in and around Ground Zero for the five days after that tragedy struck. And the greatest inspiration in my life was watching how everybody came together afterwards. And it's the first time in my life uh, before or since that the whole country was on the same page and uh, and nice to each other, especially in New York, which yeah. was a very odd thing for me as an outsider coming from the South where we all say good morning to one another and then going up to New York and they look at you like you're an idiot if you try and do that. Right. No, but uh, I, I saw the same thing when I was there uh, in the very late winter of 2001. People, there was there was a, a friendliness um, right. that was, you know, necessary. I think necessary in a way. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. We... You know, in terms of inspiration, that that moment for for our country was was absolutely um, well inspirational. It was it was an amazing moment. Brett, I've 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 run us out of time on this yeah, show that's here. All right. That's all right. But I, I want to thank. Wanted to say hi. Yeah, no, hi, and thank and, and keep up with the smoking stuff. I wish you the best of luck with that, and thank you thank for you, for reminding me of of how well we all got along uh, back then. Let's let's remember that for the future, eh? Hopefully, we can get back to that sometime without a major tragedy causing it. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Have a good one, sir. Cheers. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to an episode of Inspiration here on Vox Populi. We're all out of time. I want to thank you for tuning in, and my brother will be back next week with, I'm sure, something fascinating to talk about. For Gint, for uh, all those who helped get me here, aloha from the Toad Hop Network and the John Lovett Studio. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Just across the bar, my seat's been taken by some sunglasses Asking about a scar, and I know I gave it to you months ago I know you're trying to forget But between the drinks and subtle things, the holes in my apologies You know, I'm trying hard to take it back So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down I'll carry you home tonight.